Um, hold on one second. Okay, so we're going to pick it up from Dafchaf Tess Ahmed Aleph. What the Gemara said, uh, sorry, the Mishnah said that if you have two sisters that fall to a Yavam, right? We've been talking about this case for the last couple Dafim. If two sisters fall to one Yavam, so the halacha is that because of Zika, he can't marry both. He can't marry either. Because he's uh, each one is a chosikukasa, so he has to do chalitza. Rav Shimon holds that in such a situation you're potter, both from chalitza and from yibum. Potter legamri, fine. Then the Mishnah said, what if one of the sisters is a rabbinic erva? So then the halacha is you still have to do chalitza. Meaning, a rabbinic erva you're still biblically bound to. So both sisters still need chalitza. The Gemara understands that that last clause, that if one of them is a rabbinic erva, you still have to do chalitza from both, that's even according to Rav Shimon. Now what's strange is that Rav Shimon holds that when you're bound to both, you're pater legamri, pater from yibam and from chalitza, but when one of them is a rabbinic erva, now he's moida that they both need chalitza. And the question is why? That, that's the Gemara's assumption. The Gemara says the tabel chotesem I Amr of Shimon, but didn't Rav Shimon say, but didn't Rav Shimon say that that when you're bound to both, you're exempt from everything. So how come when you have two sisters that fall to you, you're potter legamri, potter from yibum and from chalitza. But when one of them is a rabbinic erva, then you need chalitza from both. Why would that be? So the Gemara says, Gzeira mishum itzer mitzvah da'alma. The reason why you need chalitza in this case is because we're afraid, Rav Shimon generally holds, that when you're bound to two sisters, you're potter legamri, but in this case, when one of them is a rabbinic erva, you need chalitza. Why? Because he's afraid that if we make you exempt, people are going to think that the reason why you're exempt is because of the rabbinic erva, not because of the sisters. And then in a, a different situation, when someone's a rabbinic erva, you're gonna they're they're gonna say that oh you're potter. Meaning the reason why he holds if your two sisters fall to your potter legamri, but if one sister is a rabbinic erva, they both need chalitza. Why? Because if he's afraid that if we exempt you legamri because your sisters, people are not going to know that's the, that's the reason. They're going to say the reason why you're exempt is because one of them is a rabbinic erva, and they're going to say in general when there's a rabbinic erva, forget about two cases. Just stop. A woman falls to you as a rabbinic erva, people are going to say, oh, you don't need anything. But that's not true. So because we're afraid that people will be confused, we require chalitza. So then the Gemara says one step further. Then why does the sister need chalitza? Meaning, I understand why the rabbinic erva needs chalitza, but why do both need chalitza? The answer is, The answer is because we're afraid that if people are going to exempt, if people are going to exempt the sister from chalitza, they're going to think, oh, if you're the co-wife of a rabbinic erva, you're exempt. Meaning people are going to get confused. People are not going to know the real reason. People are not going to realize that the reason why you're exempt is because you're a sister that falls to someone. They're going to think it's because you're the co-wife of a rabbinic erva. So because we're afraid of people getting confused, and then they're going to start applying it to other cases, the kids are... When one of them is a rabbinic erva, we require chalitza because we're afraid that people are going to compare this to other cases that are rabbinic ervas. I then, why does the sister need chalitza? Because if you don't do the sister chalitza, then people are going to get confused, and they're going to think other cases as well. So basically, just to keep it uniformed, we need to have chalitza here. So the Gemara says, then how come every erva, right? You have two women to fall to you. One's an erva, one's a daughter, and one's a co-wife. What's the halacha with the daughter and the co-wife? Pater. It's the first Mishnah in Masechta. The daughter's pater because she's a daughter, and she potters the co-wife. Why don't you say that the co-wife needs chalitza because we're afraid? Right? 
if you're going to go that that route of people are going to compare it to other cases and people are going to get confused, then how come, right, when this, the co-wife of a sister needs chalitza because people are going to not know why and they're going to get confused. So do the same thing every every time there's an erva, the co-wife should need chalitza. Because we're afraid that if you don't do chalitza now, people are going to compare it to other cases. Meaning, why aren't you afraid of uniformity when it comes to the co-wife of an erva? How come the co-wife of a sister, that, 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 that's a rabbinic erva, we're more nervous than the co-wife of an actual erva? So the Gemara says, Shani erva de migmar gamirla inishvakala Everyone knows about an erva. Meaning, everyone knows that when you have a co-wife of a daughter, everyone knows that's the daughter word spreads, they're going to say, oh, the daughter's potter, and she exempts the co-wife. But over here, where she's a rabbinic erva, people are not even going to know about it. And therefore, there's more room for confusion and misunderstandings in the future. Okay, that's the end of that sugya. New topic. The major sugya that we're going to be dealing with today is, how does Beishamai look at a mimer? Mimer is that rabbinic kedushin that you're supposed to do before you do yibum. How does Beishamai look at mimer? So I'll, I'll tell you outside that we'll see it inside that Bishamai looks at Maimer as you're married, biblically. Meaning once you say Hareya Mekudashasli and you give her the ring, you're biblically married. And we'll see it for many halachas. That, that's what we're going to be dealing with. Again, Bishamai holds that it's a rabbinic concept and it doesn't accomplish anything biblically. Bishamai holds that it accomplishes something biblically. Okay, so let's see it inside. Shloishachim, Shnai, and Nesun, You have three brothers, two of them are married to two sisters. Mufna, one of them is single. So you have three brothers, two married to two sisters, the third one is single. So the one of the brothers dies. So the sister, one sister, falls to, to the single guy. What does he do? He does maimer. Then, then the second brother dies. So now you have two sisters that are connected to this guy, but one of them he did a maimer to. So what's the halacha? You understand? You have two sisters falling to the brother, staggered, but one of them he did a mimer to. First. He did a mimer to the first one, and then the second one fell to him. So the question is, what, what, is, what does that do? Does that do anything? Oh, so, Beishamai holds that by you doing a mimer to the first sister, that's your, that's your wife. Takes the second wife out of the picture. So the second wife is completely exempt because she's the wife's sister, completely exempt. Don't need chalitza or yibam, nothing. Completely exempt. That's how much a mimer can accomplish. Beishamai says, no, you actually have to get divorced from the one you did a mimer to, because it's a rabbinic edition. But you also then have to give chalitza to the second, because you're bound to both biblically. <laughs> Meaning, Beis Hillel holds that a mimer is only rabbinically accomplishing something. So you're bound to both. So you have to give a get to the one you did a mimer because you're rabbinically married to her. Wow. The one you did a mimer to. You're married, right? Rabbinically married. Okay. Biblically forbidden, though, because you're biblically connected to both sisters. But it happens It doesn't matter. Meaning... No, because the two sisters from two different from two different husbands. So because you're biblically bound to both, so what you have to do is you have to do a get to the one you're married to, then chalitza to her, then chalitza to the sister. I don't understand. Uh, before we were saying that uh, the Rabbanan 
meant nothing. Over here, the Rabbanan is, it, 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 it uh, means something. It's enough to make you have to get a get, rabbinically. Oh, okay. But you're not married. It's not going to exempt. Well, you, you, you still, you can't marry her. You can't stay wherever. You're, you're messed up. Right. Because you're biblically bound to both, which is a problem. Uh-huh. I, you did a mimer to the first one, so <clears throat> give her a get. And then chalitza. So basically, you give her a get and chalitza. Meaning, it's like two sisters fault you that you need chalitza from both. I, I gave a mimer to the first one first, so give her a get and then chalitza. So, so basically, according to Beis Hillel, Beis Hillel holds that it doesn't really hold the mimer then. He doesn't hold that mimer does anything biblically. Right, so it just doesn't mean much. It only accomplishes something rabbinically. Right. No, because then it's a chalitza chalitza. You're out. That's Beis Hillel's take. But Beishamai seems to hold that a mimer is biblically a marriage. And that's why when the sister then falls, she's, she's exempt. Legamri. Because that's how much a mimer does. A mimer is mamish like nisun. Good. So, and the Mishnah ends off, Zuhi Shamru, and according to Beis Hillel, this is what they say, Oiloy al ishtoy, Oiloy al ishtoy, woe is to his wife, woe is to his sister-in-law. Because he's got to get divorced from his wife, and then he's got to get Chalitza from the sister-in-law. So he's, he's messed up on both ends. Okay. So the Gemara says, Zuhi lumute mai. What does it mean? Like, this is a case where you messed up, as opposed to what other case where you messed up. And it implies, like, this is the case where you're super messed up, as opposed to... So the Gemara says, Lemute hachter of Yeshua doleavdin kavosei el ikrav gamliel ikrav liezer. The Gemara says in Daflamit Tess, a whole situation, we've referenced it very quickly, I'm not going to go into the details of it, but the halacha is... Now, let's say you were rabbinically married to a sister, to a woman. You're rabbinically married to her. So uh, she's 11 years old. Right? She's at that rabbinic marriage stage. And then her sister falls to you for yivam. What are you supposed to do? Because you're rabbinically married to her, but you're biblically supposed to do yivam on the sister. So there's three different opinions. One opinion is you do mimer on the sister. You do mimer on your wife, because that's rabbinic and all the marriage, then do yivam. Others say you could stay married to you know, the wife, and she's exempt. Rav Yeshua's take is that you have to get divorced from your wife and then do chalitza. So Rav Yeshua also applies that line of woe is to your wife, woe is to your sister-in-law in that scenario. We don't pass in that way. Okay. Amr of Elazar. Now the question is like this. How does Beishamai look at Maimer? Now, Beishamai said, in the case of the Mishnah, if you did Maimer to the wife, then when the sister falls to her, Potter, meaning you don't have to do anything with the sister because you're already married. You understand? Meaning you, you did mimer to the first sister, then the second sister falls, she's Potter. Potter from Yib and Potter from Halitza because you're already married. She's your wife's sister. The question is, how far does Beishamai look at a mimer? That's the question. How far does, does Beishamai take it? He definitely looks at it as it's enough of a marriage to push off the next, the sister when she falls to Yibam. That, again, you did Mimer to one sister, and then another sister falls to Yibam, she's Potter, because she's my wife's sister. So Mimer definitely accomplishes that much, but the question is, how far does it go? <clears throat> so let's see it inside. The Gemara says like this, Amr Avalazar, Loi teima Mimer lebeishamai koine kinigamer diboy lafuke saga lebegita. Beishamai does not look at Mimer that it accomplishes so much that all you need is a get. Let's say you did Mimer. Right with a with a yivama. Forget about the sisters. Stop. You did mime with the yivama, and then you're like, yeah, I don't want this. I'm out. You have to give her a get for sure, because you gave her kedushin. Do you also have to do chalitza? Pashas, yeah, because mimer doesn't accomplish anything biblically. The answer is the Gemara points out even Beishamai agrees. 
you have to do chalitza. Mimer can make you married in regarding pushing off the future sister-in-law, but you're not married to the point where you don't need chalitza. Meaning get will not accomplish it enough. You need to get and then chalitza. Mimer does not replace yibum, basically. You understand what I'm saying? Meaning, does Mimer like mamish replace yibum to the point where like, we're married? No. No, the answer is no. Even after Mimer, you need a get, but you also need chalitza. Even according to Beishamah. So Maimir is considered marriage for some areas, but not marriage for other areas. So the Gemara says, Amr Maimir to Beishamai is not a full marriage, that all you need is a get. No, you need more than that. You need Chalitza also. Maimir to Beishamai accomplishes enough that you don't have to do Yibam on the sister. That's all it accomplishes. Meaning, if you have two women that fall to you, forget about sisters, and you do Mimer to one, the other one is exempt. Because you already accomplished. Her co-wife did Yibum. But that, that doesn't mean that, that the Mimer accomplishes enough that the wife can just be divorced. You understand me, Nick? So it's like a quasi-marriage. The Gemara says, I'll prove it to you. How do I know that Mimer does not fully accomplish marriage? Even according to Bishamah. The Gemara says, Amar Afa you go to the next page. What do we say in the previous mission? You have two sisters that fall to two, bro- uh, fall to two brothers. Right? Two sisters fall to two brothers. So what do we say the brothers are supposed to do? Because they're engaged to both. Chalitza. If they got married and did the Isser of Yibam, Beishamah says they could stay married. But it was Aser. They're not supposed to do Yibam in that case. If you hold, the Gemara says, if you hold that Maimer Mamishes accomplishes Yibam, why can't they just do Maimer? When, two, when you're engaged to two sisters, what you're not allowed to do is live with either one. You could do Mimer, just giving them money and saying, Harei Mekadash asleep. Why can't you just do Mimer to both? Meaning, one brother does Mimer to one sister, the other brother does Mimer to the other sister. Why isn't that a good idea? Elamai, I mean, and that, would, and that would avoid problems. I mean, when the two brothers fall to two, two sisters fall to two brothers, we said that each brother is bound to both. So you can't, no one can live with anybody because it's achos kukasa. So you have to just do chalitza. Why? According to Beishamai, you should be allowed, one brother does maimer with one sister, the other brother does maimer with the other sister, and maimer mam mishes accomplishes anything. So Elamai, you see that maimer is not a full accomplishment. That's what the Gemara says. Because the mission Correct. But then the kasha is, wait a minute. If it's not a full accomplishment, but it still accomplishes something, why couldn't they do Mimer in that case? Maybe the Gemara is like, that's a good point. Forget about whatever Mimer does. Let's say Mimer doesn't marry you to the point where you don't need to get. Fine. But why can't you do Mimer in that case? The Gemara is like, that's a good point. You have the two sisters fall to the two brothers. Let each brother just do Mimer. The Gemara says, And if you believe that Mimer actually accomplishes like a full marriage... Let each brother just do Mimer. So the Gemara says, so The Gemara says, So it must be that Mimer doesn't fully accomplish things to the point where you don't need to get. It just makes it that you're married, that it pushes off the co-wife. But then the Gemara actually points out, it's actually a good question, which is, so why doesn't each brother just do Mimer? And that's a good point. Like, each brother just do Mimer, and that should push off the co-wife. You have the two sisters falling to the two brothers. Let each brother just do Mimer. That pushes off the sisters. Then you're fine. Why can't, why, why? It's like a good taina. Why don't we do that? The Gemara says, 
Right, you're bringing a raya that Maimer doesn't fully accomplish thing because the Mishnah doesn't offer that as a suggestion. The Gemara says, well, why doesn't it? Like, well, why doesn't it offer it as a suggestion? Let's say Maimer doesn't fully accomplish, right? Okay, so it doesn't fully accomplish marriage. It accomplishes something. It accomplishes enough that it pushes off the co-wife. So you have the two sisters falling to the two brothers. Let each brother just do Maimer. So what do you have to say? The Gemara says, The answer is, you see that you can't do Maimer in a place of Isser. Maimer will only accomplish something when it's one, one woman falls to one man. In this case, where the two brothers are bound to the two sisters and there's Isurim involved, Maimer will not accomplish. Therefore, it's not a Raya either way. Whether Maimer is enough of a marriage or not, according to Beishamai, will not be able to be proved from that Mishnah, because that Mishnah is talking about Isurim. Both women are also to the two men, two sisters for the two brothers. They're all also to each other. Therefore, a Mimer won't accomplish. Meaning, a Mimer will only accomplish whatever it will accomplish, either full marriage, just enough, whatever it will accomplish, it will only accomplish it in a scenario where you're allowed to marry that person. Therefore, that's not a good Raya either way. No. 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 So therefore, that's not a good raya either way. It won't, that Mishnah is not going to be an eye-opening Mishnah to understanding Maimer because that's a Mishnah where you're also to those two women. So you could do Maimer all you want. It's not going to accomplish. Our Mishnah is referring to a case where you're mutter to this woman, so it's just one sister fell to one brother. You did Maimer. Then it could be Maimer is enough. What type? How much? Unclear. But it, it, it won't, that, that Mishnah is not an indication. The Gemara has a Ravashi Masnihachi. Ravashi has a slightly different version. Ravashi, according to this version, says that whenever Beishamai says that you need to do a Maimer, when you did a Maimer, the co wife still needs Chalitza. Meaning, when, when you do a Maimer to one woman, that doesn't make the co wife exempt, Legamri. It doesn't make it that you're fully married, that the co-wife can just go on. The co-wife also needs chalitza. That's what Gemara says. Now, the problem is, our Mishnah says that when you did Maimer to one sister, the other sister fell, the other sister's exempt. So, the question is, now, according to this version, it's, it's a similar process. And that is, how strong is Maimer? Right now, we're saying that, he says, Maimer, according to this version, what it does is it makes you married to her, but the co-wife still needs halisa. The co-wife cannot just marry someone else. The co-wife is still bound to you a little bit. That's the Gemara says. The Gemara says, Kasha. Um, Ravavin, Nanami Tanina. Ravavin says, I'll prove it to you that Maimer does not accomplish that much because it says, Because again, from that mission of the two sisters falling to the two brothers, that the mission never suggests just doing a Maimer. So you see that Maimer does not fully accomplish. Again, so that, that, it's, it's that the Gemara is trying to figure out how much does a Maimer accomplish. The Gemara says, Okay, so right now we're saying that when you do a Maimer with a woman, while it makes you married to her, her co-wife still needs Chalitza or Yibam. Like, the co-wife can't just... The co-wife's still bound to you a little bit. Right? You have these two women. Forget about sisters. Two women. They need one of them to have Yibam or Chalitza being done. If you do Maimer to one, 
The co-wife can't just say, all right, I'm going to go marry someone. She's still bound to you. Okay. So the Gemara says, wait a minute. The Gemara says, wait a minute, you're telling me that Mimer does not accomplish that much, that you're still bound, that the co-wife is still bound, but how come in our Mishnah it says that if you do Mimer to one woman, to the what, to the sister, then the other sister falls, the other sister is exemplagamri, doesn't have to do Yibam or Chalitza. So does Mimer accomplish that much that the co-wife is completely exempt or not? Which one is it? So the Gemara says, And this is, again, this is like the Igadamri. The Gemara says, it depends. When the woman falls to you, if you can marry her, meaning, if she's completely mutter to you, like, Stam, one woman falls to one guy, and you do Mimer, then you're fully married, to the point where any co-wife is exempt. When is it that Mimer does not fully accomplish? When you're dealing with women that you're not allowed to marry. Like two sisters falling to two, two brothers, where each brother is usher to both, then the Mimer will not fully accomplish things. So it depends on, so according to this version, it's a similar thing. Whether Mimer is considered fully married just depends on whether you can marry that person. If it's Heter, then Mimer is full marriage. If it's not Heter, Mimer is not full marriage. So then, then uh, the co-wife still has to do Chalitza in that case? Or uh, in, in that case, when it's full Mimer... Uh, you're totally if you could marry her, then the co-wife is exempt. If you cannot marry her, meaning that all you could do is chalitza or whatever, you can't really marry her, then the co-wife will need something. So it just depends. All right, the rest Question, of the is a lot easier. If Mimer is, is, Mime, is full-on marriage, how would you get out of it if not chalitza? Get. Oh, just simply get a get. Yeah. Okay. But Pashtas, again, it's hard to know because these are just different like possibilities. But right, because we don't hold by that. We correct. don't hold by it correct. today. Correct. Now the Gemara is a kasha. But the get would only be according to Beishama, not basically, right? No, Beishilo would say you need to get rabbinically. Right. Beishama would say you need to get biblically. Right. Okay. The question is, we know that a marriage has two stages, right? There's Harei Mekudeshesli. There's the ring, which is Kedushin. And then there's the yichud room or the chuppah, which is nesuin, full marriage. The question is, what does Mimer do, according to Beishamai? Is Mimer the first stage or the second stage? Okay. Now, meaning, does Mimer make it that you have erisin, or does it even have nesuin? So the Gemara wants to know for what halachic nafkamina. You know, what does it matter? What does it matter? What does it matter whether it's considered Mimer is considered kedushin or nesuin? What's the difference? For what Okay, there's halacha that a kohen can only contaminate to his wife after nesuin, not after kedushin. Meaning, if he gives her a ring and he says arayim kedushinly, and then she dies, he doesn't go to her funeral, and he can't annul her vows. So maybe that's what we're asking. We're asking that if you do maimer to a woman, according to Beishamai, and then she dies, could you go to her funeral? Maybe that's the kasha. Meaning, Kedushin would be, you can't, Nisun you could. So the question is, what is Mimer? Is it Kedushin or is it Nisun? That, that's the Gemara's kasha. The Gemara says it can't be, though. Hashta erisa ba'alma, tani ravchia ishta erisa loy oinin, v'loy metamala, v'chein hiloy anenis, v'loy metamas loy, meisein yarsha, meis hu goy v'ksuvasa, ovam b'maimer miboy. The Gemara says it doesn't make sense. If you actually gave her Kedushin, Biblical Kedushin, and you said, Harei Mekodesh Asli, 
you couldn't go to her funeral. You don't. You're not an onen after her, and you don't. You can't. Uh, um, you can't uh, uh, collect her inheritance, whatever it is. But you think that if you give a mimer, you could. A mimer is a rabbinic form of kedushin. How could a mimer be stronger? Like, how is it possible? Even according to Beishamai, how could it be that if you actually gave a woman a ring and said "Harim Kadeshly," you're not fully married for certain halachas, but a mimer you are? How's that a possibility? It doesn't make any sense. So the Gemara says, rather, that's not the Shiloh. Rather, we don't actually think that, again, we asked the question, does Maimer make Kedushin or Nesun? And we said, for what Halachic Nafkamina? So we said, for the Halachic Nafkamina of going to her funeral and, 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 and uh, uh, um, nullifying her vows, the Gemara says it can't be. If, if you, those Halachas don't apply after actually Biblical Kedushin, they're definitely not going to apply after Rabbinic Kedushin. No way. So therefore, what, what exactly is the Shiloh? Of whether Maimer does Kedushin or Nesuin. Because. Isn't that what it's done with regards to Yibam? Like, if, if you accomplished Yibam or not? No, the Gemara is assuming that that's an independent Shiloh. We're just saying, in general, does it make Kedushin or Nesuin? The Gemara says, for what, for what halachic nafkamina? So I'm saying, oh, for like uh, going to her funeral. You can't go to her funeral if you actually marry, you can do Kedushin to a regular woman. So like, you, you think your rabbinic Kedushin will do something? No way. So the Gemara says, you're right. Ella. The question is, do you need a chuppah? That's the question. And you do maimer, do you need to take it down the chuppah? If maimer is a chuppah, you already took it down the chuppah. If maimer is not a chuppah, it's just kedushin, then you need a yichurum. That's the question. Okay. So Gemara says, The question is, do you need a chuppah? Right? The stage of marriage is two stages. There's kedushin, and then there's nesuin. The ring, and then the chuppah. We do them both at the same time, but it's the ring and then the chuppah. So you gave her a mimer, so you did the ring part. The question is, did you also do the chuppah part? Okay. Well, the Gemara is asking, huh? Well, I think the Gemara is even taking this step further. The question is, Yibam, if you, if you don't do any of this and you just live with her, it works. So you think I need to do a chuppah now? Like, does that make sense? Well, because I gave her a ring, now I have to do a chuppah. Like, if I didn't give her the ring, I could just live with her, and it works. But now that I gave her a ring, I have to do a chuppah? That's strange. The Gemara says, If you didn't do anything, You could just live with her, even against her will, and it works. So, now we're thinking you need a chuppah? And the answer is yes. It could be that when you do Maimer, what you're telling yourself in Halacha is that you want to treat her like a regular woman. And the second you do Maimer, she becomes no longer like a Yavama in the classical sense. She becomes a woman that you did Kedushin to. So perhaps by you giving her Maimer, you're saying, I don't want, I want to treat her like a regular woman, meaning, and then you would need a Chuppah. Perhaps. Perhaps if you didn't do Mimer, you could just live with her. But now that you did Mimer, you're like removing the Yavama element of her and you're making her like an engaged woman that you need a Chuppah. Perhaps. That's the Gemara's Kasha. The question is, according to Beishamai, if you did, um, if you, if you did Mimer, is it Nesuin or is it Kedushim? So the Gemara says, well, okay, let's bring a raya. So Tashima, Shemeris Yavam, you have this woman who's waiting to do Yivam. Regular woman who's waiting to do Yivam. Forget about my image, stop. A regular woman is waiting to do Yivam. The question is, who can nullify her vows? 
right? If she's married to someone than her husband, if she's single, then her father. So who nullifies her vows? She's waiting to do Yibum. Again, maybe Zika is coming into play a little bit. Doesn't matter on how many brothers are there, right? Let's say there's three brothers, so she has Zika to all three. Can they all three nullify her vows? That, that's the Gemara's question. So, Shemeris Yavam, if she's waiting to Yivam, Bein Yavam Mecha Bein Shnei Yavam, whether it's, she's, has Zika to, whether she's waiting to do Yivam with one brother, or there's multiple brothers there, Rav Lazar Rav Lazar says, the Yavam can nullify the vow. Okay? Any brother. Rav Yeshua says, no, the only one that can nullify the vow is if there's one brother. If there's one brother, then there's strong Zika, he can nullify the vow, but if there's multiple brothers, then I guess only her father. And Rav Akiva says, none of them can nullify the vow. So you have Rav Eliezer who says they all can nullify the vow, Rav Yeshua who says only one can nullify the vow, if the, only if there's one Yavim can they nullify the vow, and Rav Akiva says none of them can nullify the vow. What's the Machlegas about? And we'll see how this comes back to Maimer. But we explain. Rav Akiva makes a lot of sense. He, he feels that Zika is not enough to make you married. Therefore, none of the brothers can nullify her vows, only her father, because she's single. For, for the laws of nullification of vows. Rav Yeshua also makes a lot of sense. He says only one brother can nullify the vow, meaning only when there's one Yavim, because he feels that Zika is strong enough, but only when there's one. If there's multiple brothers, she can't be married to multiple men. So then she's single. So if there's one brother, she's married to him through Zika, enough to nullify the vows. If there's multiple brothers, then no one can nullify her vows. Makes a lot of sense. Revelezer though, Revelezer says all brothers can nullify the vow. The Gemara says, how can that be? How can it be all the brothers nullify the vows? She has one husband. How's it possible? The only one who can nullify her vows are her husband. She's got three Yivamos waiting to do either Yivam or Chalitza. All of them can nullify her vows? Doesn't make any sense. The Gemara says, Revami says, you know what the case is? One of them did Mimer. So he could nullify the vow. Only the one who did Mimer. So what do you see? The Gemara says, again, we're trying to figure out if you did Mimer, if you did Mimer, who, is it considered Kedushin or Nesuin? According to Eliezer, if you did Mimer, you could nullify the vow. That's statement number one. Statement number two, if you did Kedushin with a woman, you can't nullify the vow. The only ones who can nullify the vow is the husband and the father together. So think about it. If the Mimer, if the Yavim after Mimer can nullify the vow, and in general after Kedushin, you need both the father and the Chassan to nullify the vow. Only after Nesuin can the husband nullify the vow on his own. So that tells you the Mimer is post Nesuin. Right? Again, regular Kedushin, you give a woman a ring... Who can nullify the vow? You need joint effort of the chasan and the father. After Nesuin, after the Yichurum, just the husband. According to Eliezer, if the Yavam did Maimer, he can nullify the vow. So you see that Maimer is post-Nesuin. That's the Gemara's right. So the Gemara says, no. Maybe when Eliezer says that he can nullify, he means the husband can nullify with the father. Really, Maimer is only post-Kedushin. So why could the husband nullify alone? The answer is he can't. He means with the father. The Lushan is not great, but... Uh, okay. The Lushan is not great. Maybe that's what it means. So the Gemara says... 
In the beginning of this Ahmed, we had a discussion as to, to the extent of Maimer. And Rav Eliezer said that Maimer, according to Beishamah, doesn't mean you're actually fully married. It just means that if future women fall, they're, they're pushed away. But you're not actually married, meaning you need Chalitza also. So according to him, how could, you, how could the husband nullify the vow? Meaning, according to Rav Eliezer, if Maimer is not fully married to require just a get, meaning you also need chalitza, so you're not fully married, so then how could you nullify the vows? So the Gemara says, the Gemara says, said, all I said is that you need chalitza. That's all I said. I, I said that Maimer does not make it that you're married to the point you don't need Chalitza. But maybe it is married enough that you that, that you can nullify the vows, meaning they're two independent concepts. Meaning we're assuming, so we asked the question that according to Revelez, that you're not fully married, requiring, meaning that you're exempt from Chalitza or whatever, so why would you be allowed to nullify the vow? The answer is they're two different things. You could be married enough that you can nullify the vow, but not married enough that you, you require Chalitza. The Gemara then ends off, which is Gavin's point. Rav Eliezer says, let me ask you a question. And it makes sense according to you. We said before that the husband can nullify the vow. So we said, but wait a minute. If it's only post-Kedushin, why could the husband nullify the vow? So we said, when it says the husband, it means the husband and the father. Rav Eliezer says, that's not what it says. It says the husband. It doesn't say the husband and the father, because in Diktuk, Yefar is he. Yefru is they. If it's two people, it should say they. So he says that the, the Lushan is not meduktuk to. So you're asking a kashis on me. Uh, the Lushan doesn't work with you either. We'll end with this. This stuff is actually a little more tricky than I thought. Um, yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't realize how tricky it was until I started. I started to like have like an internal panic as I was teaching. I'm like, oh, do I know this more? So anyway, so the Gemara says we asked the question according to Eliezer that that um, that Mimer doesn't really accomplish fully. So then how come he could nullify the the the, the vows? So he said, and according to you, it makes sense. It says he and not they. So you know the Gemara says, you know what the case is? The case is not a case of Mimer. The case is where you have a woman falls to a yavam, right? Falls to a guy. He's either got to do yibam or chalitza. He refuses. He refuses. I'm not doing anything. He's going to be a jerk about it. So what do they do? They go to court. And court says, you have to do one of them. And until you do one of them, either yibam or chalitza, you have to support her financially. That was the penalty. Says the Gemara, when you're supporting her financially, he can nullify the vows. Because there's a special halacha that once you're paying for her, that's enough of a connection that you have to nullify the vows. So therefore, the Gemara says the case where it says he can nullify the vows is not talking about a case of Maimer, and it's not a riot at all to our discussion. It's specifically talking about a case where it's Om de Bedin, where it, she, she took him to court, and the court mandated that he pay her financial bills until this is reconciled. By doing that, it forges a very strong connection that he is now actually able to nullify her vows. Therefore, it has nothing to do with our discussion of Mimer. All right, we'll stop here. Is there a time period? Uh, I guess Bezdin has their discretion. Recording stopped.